You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Uh, we're going to continue this morning in our series through 1 John. And so I have my friend here, our nice table, last week. Uh, last week you saw the illustrations. And basically, what we talked about last week, what we learned in our first few verses of 1 John, is that our faith, it's not like the lazy boy chair. Party of one. Right? TV dinner. Me, myself, and I. It's private. It's personal. This is between me and God. Thank you very much. No! Our faith is more like this table, and we learned, it was like we went Rosetta Stone last week. Do you guys remember the, the foreign language that we learned? We learned the word koinonia. Let's say it together. Koinonia. Welcome. That's going to be the name of our church. I told you, koinonia church, right? And so koinonia, basically, it means, we translate it fellowship. It means the sharing and partaking of something together. And so our faith is a fellowship. It is a mutual participation. It is a sharing together, not in a meal, but in the gospel. God has saved us, and so we are in fellowship with him. God our Father is at the table. Our brothers and sisters are also here with us, and so we are a family. Yes, my relationship with Jesus is personal, but it's not private. We do this together. We're partaking together. As you go, I go, and we're in this together. And so we were doing this illustration last week, and as we continue in our series, it it actually reminded me of a personal family story. And so when I was about 16 years old, I got a little taste of something, okay? This is confession day, all right? At 16 years old, I got a little taste of something, and it was freedom. Anybody remember the first time you tasted freedom? See what it tastes like, right? And so I got a taste of freedom, and it was intoxicating, It was intoxicating, right? And so it was like I can drive. And so I went from being a dependent child connected to my parents, having to ask for rides to everything and permission, to being a 16-year-old man, you know? And so I was like, literally, I was out seven nights a week. Seven nights a week. I mean, I had sports practice. After sports practice, we'd go to friends' houses and we're playing games. And then I was in the band, right? And so every single sporting event in our school, I went to because I was in the band. So the basketball pep band, the football games, the re- we had pep band for wrestling. I was just gone all the time. On the weekends, we'd have competitions and adjudications. And it was just like freedom, man. It was the best thing in the world. Talk to my mom and she'll tell you a different story. Talk to my mom, and she will tell you the time I turned 16, and the time that she and my dad had to sit me down, and they had to have a very important conversation with me. And they said, Sam, we're proud of you. We love that you're growing up. We love that you're moving on, but you need to understand something here. Right now, the way that you're acting, you are a part of our family, but you're not partaking in the family. You're a part of the family. Yes, you belong here, but more often than not, your seat is empty, Sam. And you need to learn that as you grow up, yes, you have freedom, but if you don't prioritize your family, if if you allow those things to interrupt and disrupt your participation and your partaking in the family, you're not going to be a very good family member. And to this day, I still remember that conversation, right? Because that was such a powerful teaching moment. So we're not here this morning to talk about my family. We're talking about the family of God. We're talking about our participation in this gospel community. And I want to tell you this morning that there is something that can disrupt our fellowship. 
There is something in this room right now that can disrupt our connectivity as the family of God. There is something that will break this. There is something that will divide us. And in those moments, we may be a part of the family. Maybe, but we are most certainly not partaking in the family in those moments. And so the thing that I'm talking about this morning, it's not freedom that divides us. It's called sin. It's called sin, disobeying God. And so John, in our next few verses this morning, he's going to show us that the only way to maintain this fellowship at the table, the only way to handle the sin issue is that church, we need to be a church that turns on the lights. Got to turn on the lights. And so we're going to continue in our passage here in verse 5. So open up your Bibles, 1 John chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 5 together. This is the word of the Lord. Let me read the whole verse, the whole passage, and then we'll break it down. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is God's word for us this morning. So this is what we do. Uh, Welcome here. What we do is we read the passage and then we talk about the passage. It's very simple. So we're going to go verse by verse and see what God is going to say to us. So check this out. Verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Point number one, the first thing we learned this morning is that God is light. God is light. You got to understand this. You have to understand something about the Father who has brought us to the table, the Father who has adopted us into his family. You need to understand something about, about him, and it's this. He is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And so we've seen here light and darkness. This is a metaphor, right? And this metaphor is is fairly obvious. This metaphor is, is pretty intuitive. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you could understand the difference between light and darkness. And so darkness in the scriptures, it's a metaphor for sin. These are the things that we don't want people to see us doing, right? This is, so, so we prefer to keep the lights off, so to speak. These are things that are unsightly and unseemly. So it would just be, it would be better if we keep these things a secret. It would be better if these things stayed in the dark. It's darkness. On the other hand of the metaphor, we have light. And light is obvious. It is a metaphor for things that are good, things that are righteous, things that are pure. Light is the realm of things that are clean. There's no need to turn off the lights. There's nothing to hide. The things that are in the light are innocent and upright. And so John is saying this to us this morning. He says, here is the message that Jesus shared to us about the Father. Here is what, God, what Jesus revealed to us through his own life about the Father. Nothing about God. Nothing that he does. Nothing that has to do with God needs to be in the dark. Everything associated with God is light. It is clean. It is pure. It is right. 
And notice what he says. He doesn't say God is like light, right? As if light was some standard that God measures up to. No, he says God is light, which means he is the standard for all things that are pure and clean and right. And so we can label things as pure and clean to the degree that they match him because God is light. God is light. And so this is fairly obvious. We know that God is light. You're like, Sam, why are you telling me this? It's simple, but it's actually really powerful. Because we live in a world where everything is darkness. We look around us and we say, is there anything in this world that we can look to and say, that is perfectly pure. That is perfectly clean. Is there anything? And so you go throughout your life here, right? And, and you, you're, you can be a Christian for all of like 10 seconds before you hear about a leader who has fallen from grace, a leader who you admired, a person that you looked at, and they're exposed. They're a phony. They've been living a double life. And you go, oh my goodness, they, they're not even pure? And then you go home from here and you turn on the news and we know how much, news, how much good the news talks about, Right? The news is just shining a major spotlight. More darkness in the world. Another young lady kidnapped and sold into slavery. Another innocent person gunned down in the street. I mean, the news is filled with it. We watch it and we go, man, this is a dark world we're living in. Is there cleanness anywhere? Is there light anywhere? And then I can speak from experience here, right? You you get older, and those of you who are maybe got a little salt and pepper in your hair, you know I'm talking the truth. You come to an age where you realize that even in your own heart, there's darkness. And you you come to a place and you say something, right? Or maybe you don't say it, maybe you think it, and you catch yourself and you go, where did that come from? Is there light anywhere? Is there goodness and just pure light and cleanness anywhere? The world is a dark place. And this is why what John is saying is so powerful. He comes in here and he says, yes, I know you want light. Yes, I know you crave the light. You were made for it. And you're looking around going, where can I find light? Darkness is everywhere. And he says, actually, in God, there is no darkness at all. As a matter of fact, he is light. God is light. And we need to know this because this is the father who has adopted us into his family. This is the God who has brought us to the table of his gospel community. And so here's my question for you. If this is what the father is like, what do you think the family should be like? If this is what the father is like, what do we think the family should be like? And so John tells us this. We continue. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We already saw that God is light. Our Father is light. Therefore, life with God is lived in the light. Life with God, life at this table, must be lived in the light. And so we have a couple of hypotheticals here. He says, if... There's a claim here, right? So there's an imaginative person. He says, if there's a person, let's just say, if there's a person who claims that they have fellowship with God, if there's a person, many of you in this room would claim as much, if there's a person who claims that they are at the table, that they are in relationship with God and with his family, if, if that's true, then 
there is a lifestyle that is incongruent. There is a lifestyle that is incompatible with such a claim, and it's this, walking in darkness. Walking in darkness. We already established what darkness is. So when he says walking in darkness, let me be very clear. He's not talking about a moment of sin, okay? He's not talking about a, 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 a decision, an errant step in the wrong direction. A walking is another metaphor. It's living. It's continuously moving in a direction. Not an errant step in the wrong direction. It is an unrepentant move steadily in the wrong direction. A continuous lifestyle. And so John is referring to a person. Check this out. Let's put it together. He's referring to a person who says, I am in fellowship with the God of light, and yet I continually walk in darkness. And John goes, hmm, tell me about that. You're in fellowship with the God of light. You're, that's your father, and yet you look nothing like your father. That's what John is saying. And so he says there's only one explanation for this. There is only one explanation for such an incompatible, incongruent claim, and it's very simple. Look what he says, two words. We lie. John, such a simple theologian, he doesn't, well, I, technically, what's happening here in the spiritual realm is that you're really confused. He goes, no, we're just lying. We may agree out loud to the truth. We may know all the right answers. We may say the right answers in our community group. We, we can agree to the truth, but we are not practicing the truth. Those who are continually walking a lifestyle of darkness, they are clearly not in fellowship with the God of light. Maybe, maybe they're like me as a 16-year-old kid. Maybe they're a part of the family. And that's a big maybe. How do we know for sure? Maybe, but at a minimum, they are certainly in those moments and in those seasons not partaking in the family. At a minimum, they are not in fellowship with, in close proximity to the God of light, walking with him in obedience and experiencing intimacy with him and cultivating that relationship with his family. At a minimum, we could say that. They can't be, because God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Therefore, life with God is lived in the light. As I was preparing this message this week, um, it reminded me of a lady, a friend, that my wife and I, we used to disciple, right? And so we just, our unnamed friend, and um, this was like eight years ago, and she grew up Catholic, kind of had a, a situation in her life, that, and she said, I just need to go to a church. And so she Googled churches near me, boom, she walked into our church, and like, man, God grabbed her, you know what I mean? He grabbed her, and the truth came alive, and so she was coming every week, and she's getting to know people, and she's hearing the gospel, and boosh, like the truth explodes into her heart, and she says, I believe in Jesus, and I want to live for Jesus, and God, by his sovereign grace, brought her to the table, and she got baptized, and she was in our community group, and she was coming over two, three, four times a week to play games, and just, she was a part of the family, not just in word, like she was part of the family, you know? And she was growing in her faith, and she's like, hey, pass the bread, and we're passing the bread. And it was just, it was beautiful. And, and because we're doing life together, we knew, right? This, this young lady, she wanted to be married real bad, man. And she, she had a newfound faith. She's like, I'm in God's family. And so she understood, rightly so, I want to marry someone who's also in the family. 
right? And she'd never had a healthy relationship before this. She goes, man, I'm loving God. I want to find a man who loves God too. And, and she's just, you know, that was, that was her thing. That's what we would pray about often. That's what we talked through. And so we got to a, a season once where we go, hey, have you seen such and such? I haven't seen her around, you know? And so she started missing community group, right? Instead of being there every week, it was like every other week, maybe once a month. Before you know it, we just haven't seen her on Sunday mornings. We tried to talk to her, but there was kind of this like evasiveness, you know what I mean? You've been there. And it was just things that we used to talk about were kind of off limits. And before you knew it, she was kind of just, you know, just, hey, thank you, but no thank you, you know? And so we did what any good brother or sister would do who was sitting at the table with us. We just go to, we pursue and we push and we go, hey, we love you. Here's what we've noticed. How are you doing? What's going on? You know? And she, in that moment, I will never forget it. In that moment, she told us, she goes, well, here's where I'm at. I, I thank you for, for reaching out. I really respect it. But here's where I'm at. Um, God spoke to me and told me that it's okay for me to sleep with my boyfriend. And he's not a Christian, but it's okay. He told me that. And as a matter of fact, we are not allowed to talk about this anymore. And she put, the, she put up the line. And we will never forget, church, I'll never forget her closing remark. She said, I feel closer to God now more than ever before. How do you argue with that? How, what, what do you, how do you even combat that? And so here's what John would say. If John was sitting here at the table, he would listen to that and he would smile and he would love her. And his response, based on this passage, is, which God? Which God? Which God do you feel closer to right now? Because our God that we're talking about is a God of light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And so someone who is choosing, not just one mistake, but who is choosing to continuously and unrepentantly walk in the darkness and in that direction, if you're saying that you're experiencing fellowship with the God of light, I'm sorry, but you're lying. Because life with God is lived in the light. On the other hand, look what John says, on the other hand, if that's not us, if, if we walk in the light, just as he is in the light, if we are living a lifestyle of light and purity and transparency, and we don't need off the lights and hide because there's nothing to hide, if that is our lifestyle, then look what he says, we are indeed in fellowship with the God of light. You are indeed knowing the Father and being close to him and knowing that Jesus cleanses us from all of our sin. you got to catch what I'm saying here. Listen to this. The congregation that John wrote to, do you remember last week what I said? They have just seen their closest friends. They've seen teachers that they know. They have just wrote, risen up and they have just created their own brand of religion. They just created their own brand of Christianity and they've gone out there and they're making converts and they're starting new churches and they're saying, don't listen to John, that crazy old man. He doesn't have the real truth. I have it. And the congregation is shook. They are so shook that they're left sitting here at the table going, how do I know I won't be next? How, how do I know that I won't stray from the truth? How do I know for sure that I really am at the table? John, how can we be sure of our salvation? How can we be sure that we're in this fellowship? And John says, here's how you know. Our living in the light is a sure sign that we are indeed in fellowship with the God of light. Our living in the light is our assurance that we are indeed living in fellowship with the God of light. 
And so remember what I said earlier, if we are over here unrepentant and pursuing a lifestyle of darkness, I said maybe we're a part of the family, but we're just not partaking. But maybe. Or maybe we're lying and we really aren't a part of the family. How do we know? There's no, in those moments, there's no assurance. How do we know? And Sean says, here's how you know. Live in the light. When you live in the light, you have the assurance that I am in fellowship with the God of light. Friends, Sam Cassis here, not your pastor, just a dude. I want that assurance. I want to know that I am in fellowship with the God of light and that my eternal destiny is secure and that I'm a part of his family. I want to know that. I want to live in the light and I want to be in fellowship with the God of light. And I'm sure you want that too. And so the final question we ask this morning is how? Because I know myself and I know what's in my heart. So how, Sam? That sounds great. If we live in the light, then, you know, we have assurance that we're in faith. How though, Sam? Come on. You live in the light all the time? You don't walk in darkness? How? Well, John doesn't leave us hanging. Look what he says. This is very important. Verse 8. You want to live in the light? Here's how. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Do you want to live in the light? Do you want to live in the light in fellowship with the God of light? To live in the light, we must bring our sins to the light. The reality is we still sin. I love John, right? Because like when, when you look at paintings of the apostles, they're all like, hmm, they're floating on clouds with, you know, uh, Greek Orthodox halos above their head. And they're like, welcome. And they float, right? And John's like, let's be real. He doesn't spit quite as much. I'm sure of it. He was way more holy, you know. But he's like, yo, let's be real. We all sin. If you say otherwise, if you're in here and you're trying to keep a straight face saying, I have no sin, he's like, you're a liar. You are deceiving yourselves. Notice, he doesn't say you're deceiving others because nobody's deceived. They're like, we know you. We know, you're not deceiving us. We know you still sin. You're only deceiving yourself. You're only lying to yourself. Well, I used to sin and I used to struggle, but what happened? No, liar! Liar! We sin, your pants are on fire. That's what John is saying. He's like, let's be real. We all sin. If we say we have not sinned, the truth is not in you. And even more, you're trying to make God a liar. Because God said, I'm going to come and die for your sins. I'm not a sinner. You're calling him a liar then. Let's be real. We all sin. And this is so important, church. This is so, so important because many of you in this room grew up in what I call a religious church religious church. And I'm not making a comment on the building. If we had a building that looked like that, ah, uh, no, probably not. I'm not a fan. But it's nice. It's cool, you know. But I'm just saying, my point here is not the building. My point is, many of you in this room have grown up in a church where things are so polished and things are so sterilized and things are so put together that you better think twice before you divulge something that might deface what we have going on here. And we're in a church where things are so put together that you look at the people on the platform or you look at the people next to you and you can't even imagine them being tempted, let alone actually succumbing to sin. And what happens is when you're in a church environment like that, you start to believe the lie that you're the only one. 
man, nobody else around here struggles. What is wrong with me? Because I still fight the battle for sin, and I'm still tempted in those ways, and I've been a Christian for 10 years, and I still fall. What, there must be something wrong with me. And the voice in our heads, and our heads say, you're the only one. You're all alone. How could you? Oh, and you call yourself a Christian. That's what happens if we have a religious church. And John says to the religious churches, he goes, Psh, let's be real here. We all sin. We all sin. And so we don't want to be a religious church, friends. We want to be what I call an authentic church, right? And you look at that picture and you're like, ooh, is that going to be our new church building? Maybe, I don't know. But again, it's not about the building. This is the kind of picture you look at and you go, whoa, they're struggling. And guess what? We're not trying to hide it. Yeah, we're struggling. That's who we are. Yeah, we're struggling. And guess what? We will be struggling until the day that we stand before Jesus and he perfects us in his image. We want to be a church that's authentic. A church that we're not trying to act in a certain way. We're not trying to speak in a certain way. We're not carrying ourselves in a certain way so that we can be perceived a certain way. We need to be real. We are very upfront and real about our sin. We sing about our sin. We talk about our sin in community groups. We admit it from the front. Right? One of my favorite lines, I have a friend, right? And he goes, I'm never going to go to church because church is full of hypocrites. And I go, a hypocrite is a person who says one thing but then does another. I get it. That's a hypocrite. We're here saying, nah, we're messed up. So when we mess up, we're not being hypocritical. We're actually having a lot of integrity in those moments. We told you we're messed up. Church, welcome to East Point Church. We're messed up. <laughs> like, what if we put that on a, you're clapping. Yes, I guess. Like, what if we put that on a banner? First John 1, 9, we sin. And if you don't, you lie. <laughs> that could be a mission statement right there. As soon as we can get above that, as soon as we can just get that in the open, that we've all sinned, we're going to be a lot better off. As soon as we can come to a place that we don't think we're isolated, where the enemy can cut us off and go, no, you're the only one, we're better off. As soon as we can become a church that when the person across from us sins, we don't give them the stink eye. Did you hear what such and such did? I can't believe him. What? As if you're above that? Listen, there's a lot of, you know, there's podcasts and there's stories and there's news articles right now about Christian leaders and men and women who are falling. Here's what you do. When you see those leaders fall, when you hear of people who have departed from the faith, watch yourself closely. Because the moment you go, Psh, how could they? You're in trouble. None of us are above it. And so here's the question this morning to you. The question is not, do you sin? We, there's only one impossible. The question is not, do you sin? The question is, what do you do when you sin? Do you sin? I, we already established that back on August, whatever today is, right? Like, we are a church that sins. Better question, what do you do when you sin? And John says, my friend, beloved, you only have two options. You really only have two options when you sin. And here's what you can do. Number one, you can say, we have no sin. <clears throat> liar. Or you can do what he's proponing, pr pr uh, suggesting here. You can confess your sins. And so let me say this. Confession is the difference between sinning and walking in sin. Confession is the difference between an errant step and between continuously walking steadily in the wrong direction. 
He says, confess your sins. We all sin, but there's a difference between those moments of, of, of indiscretion, between those moments of weakness, and between walking continuously in the dark. And it's confession. Confession is the opposite of hiding from God. It's turning ourselves in, knowing that he loves us and he won't love us any less. Confession is the opposite of secrecy. Confession is looking God in the eyes, laying yourself bare, not avoiding his gaze and distracting ourselves with busyness and more and more activity. And I can't really talk to God. We're not on talking terms. But if I go to church and I street like six weeks in a row and I serve with Derek on the setup team, if I do that, then I'll be good enough and then I can look him in the eyes as if we can atone for our own sins. Jesus already did that. Confession is acknowledging your wrongdoing, willingly exposing your sin, and admitting what you've done. Let me put it this way. Confession, it's just turning on the lights. It's just turning on the lights. And so, friends, let me ask you, not not do you sin. What do you do when you sin? Do you keep the lights off? Are you just like me and just like everybody else in this room who is tempted to keep the lights off because of shame and guilt? Oh, man. I should be beyond this. I can't confess now. Then people will know that I'm a sinner. They already know. (laughs) I can't confess now because I have this position. And now, like, people are going to think that I'm, like, rip. Turn the lights on. Are you tempted to keep it in the dark? Are you tempted to avoid church, avoid your friends, scale back on community group until you have this under control? Or do you you meet text messages from concerned friends with, I'm not ready to talk about this yet? By keeping the lights off, you are staying in the dark. And we've already seen John say, to live in the light, we must bring our sins to the light. So confess. Confess. When, and let me ask you this now. When you, when you picture confession, when you picture talking to God, right? So you go, you go home, you close the door, you, you kneel by your bed, wherever you pray, you sit in your chair. When you imagine confessing your sins to God, what do you picture his face looking like? When you picture yourself talking to God, what do you imagine his reaction is? What persona of God have you created in your mind? really? Again? Right? And we kind of create these pictures. He's disgusted. He's shocked as if we, as if he didn't know. You did what? What do you picture his face looking like? And I'm going to ask you, my dear friend, for a moment to take whatever caricature and persona of God you've created in your mind, and I want you to submit that to the Word of God, because here's what his face actually looks like. Look what he does. It says, really quickly, if we confess our sins, he's angry and hates us. No, it doesn't say that. If we confess our sins, he actually doesn't leave us. He's like the faithful spouse who will never leave us. It says he is faithful. Nothing you, can, nothing you do can make him love you any more or any less. He's faithful to you. But also notice, he's not like the, he's not like the crooked judge that sweeps it under the rug that goes, Psh, yeah, I'll just wink at your sin. I got you, I got you, right? No, no, he's actually just He will not allow the cash register of justice to be a dollar short. Your sin will be paid for, but he's the one who paid for it on the cross. And so he's completely just when he forgives you. He will respond to your confession by forgiving you, by giving you grace, by letting you stay at the table and say, I love you. You're forgiven. Forget about it. 
And not only does he forgive you, look what he does. My favorite one here. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Through your act of confession, he's actually using that discipline to purge you. He's at, your act of confession not only shines a spotlight on your sin, but God actually uses your confession to purge you of your sin and to help you overcome your sin. By bringing it into the light, we are cleansed and forgiven and loved. Through confession, God is showing you his great mercy. And so bring it into the light, church. Because to overcome the dark, we must turn on the light. To overcome the dark, we must turn on the light. And so here's how I'd like us to respond this morning. We have a table here, right? We have a table representing our mutual participation in the family of God. A couple thousand years ago, Jesus sat at a table just like this. He sat at a table very similar to this, and he had probably didn't have these prepackaged communion elements, but he had some real bread, right? Maybe some, some matzah, some hummus, you know, and, and he sat and he took the bread and he took the juice as emblems, as symbols, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he took the, the wine and he poured the wine and he said, this is my blood spilled out for you. At the table, Jesus demonstrated what he would do to bring us to the table. At the table, Jesus demonstrated what he would do to bring us to the table. And so I'm going to invite you to grab your communion elements. There's some ushers walking around. If you're a Christian, if you're a part of the family, this is a family meal, right? If you're not a part of the family and you're still on your journey, don't grab one. That's okay. You're welcome to pray with us. But this is a family meal in this moment, okay? And as we sing, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have your elements open. We're not going to partake yet. But we're going to listen to some special music. And we're going to listen what Jesus did to make us clean. And in the middle of the song, Daniel will have us stand, we'll partake together, and we're going to declare the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God together. Amen? Let's listen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.